you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Text is printed for you on the next page in your bulletins, but if you have your Bibles, I certainly invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians 15. Our reading this morning will be chapters or verses 12 through 25. Again, our reading begins 1 Corinthians 15 at verse 12. Let us give our careful attention to the reading of God's word. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God, that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. This has been the reading of God's word. Please be seated. Let me pray. Father, would the words of of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you? Lord, would you send your spirit as you have promised to do to to create faith in our hearts that Jesus would be big among us, that his work would be seen as sufficient and enough and that we would find our hope in him. Lord, we pray this in his name, amen. I sometimes wonder if celebrating Easter has ever been this hard. I'm not talking about how our society is becoming less and less churched or religious, however you want to say that. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about the commercialization of Easter, which sounds kind of funny to even say, but, but it's true. And at the risk of offending some of you, and I promise I'm, I'm not judging, I'm just curious. We were taking a family walk last week through our neighborhood, and we were remarking on all of the Easter decorations in the neighborhood, like big, giant, inflatable bunnies, Giant Easter eggs on lawns, and even one house, I'm not even kidding, one house had Easter lights on their house. But I'm not talking about that either. I think celebrating Easter is hard because Easter, which is really at the heart of it, just, it's just the message of Christianity, that Jesus isn't just another teacher. He's not just another moral example or moral philosopher, but he is really the, the risen Lord of all. That's the message of Easter. And the problem is that it's a solution to the greatest problem that we have, and the issue is that we are less and less aware of this problem. And that problem, or as Paul calls it, that enemy is death. 
I mean, for the most part, we have successfully partitioned death away from everyday life. Death belongs in elder care facilities. It belongs with hospice care, funeral homes, of course. Law firms have to deal with death. Uh, I love the line, death happens off stage. It's not part of our stories. And all of this is the culmination of, of decades of what's been called the denial of death. But of course, every action has an opposite reaction. And so it's not just that we're denying death, but on the flip side of it, we now have what's called a positive death movement. And so there's a growing industry of death doulas. You know about birth doulas, right? Birth doulas come alongside a mom and help her in that experience of giving birth. Well, death, if you take clergy out of the picture, then at death, which is a very normal, very emotional experience, you now have people who come alongside and want to walk people through what is a beautiful part of normal life. Years ago, the New York Times had an article about this positive death movement, and I love the lead of the story. It talked about 88-year-old Shotzi Weisenberger. She invited her friends and family and neighbors not to her funeral, but to her funeral. Come on in, she said. There's lots of food and a coffin in the back that people are decorating. A former nurse, Miss Weisenberger, wore white slacks, white sneakers, and a bright floral print blouse. A biodegradable cardboard coffin in one corner bore handwritten messages and colored marker, Go Shotzi, but not literally. Death is only the beginning. Shotzi, many happy returns as trees, bumblebees, and many happy memories. Does a resurrection even matter? Well, I think part of my job this morning is to insist that the, the problem Easter confronts actually does exist, and it really is our greatest problem. The resurrection of Jesus matters more than anything in the entire world. The passage we just read is true. Paul's interpretation of the world in verse 26 is accurate. There is a great enemy, and it's the last enemy to be destroyed, and that is death. And Jesus has overcome this enemy it's not just that Jesus died and came back to life. It's not just that he was resuscitated. He went into death, and he came out the other side, death's conqueror. That's the entire point of the good news of what Jesus has done. The Apostle Paul's main contention in the entire chapter of 1 Corinthians 15 is that Christianity doesn't exist without the resurrection. Any hope that we have, any attempt to give this world of suffering and sin and brokenness meaning, any hope that we have, it depends on the resurrection of Jesus in our time, in, in, in this earth, in space, in history. So this morning on Easter Sunday, I want us to think through why Easter matters, why the resurrection means more than anything else in the world. And so we're going to explore three points about how Easter matters to us. What, what are the implications of the empty tomb for our past our present, and our future, all right? What, what does the resurrection mean for us in terms of our past, our present, and our future? So let's begin with our past. Now, Paul begins 1 Corinthians 15. This is before we, we began reading, but this is where he begins. Uh, he gives us a very clear description of the gospel. Gospel means good news, and so here is what the, the good news consists of. In 1 Corinthians 15, 3, he says, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to a number of different witnesses. And so the good news of the gospel is Jesus' life and death are made sense of. They are anchored in his resurrection. That's the point of the chapter. Christ died for our sins, but he did not stay dead. If he remained dead, there is no good news. 
You might make the case that he was a moral example. You might make the case of an object lesson. Think of like the nonviolent civil rights protests of past years. Those provide beautiful, inspiring stories, but they're not good news for us. So in 1512, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. The resurrection is not an inspiring spiritual truth conveyed in pastel colors. It's not this announcement in the foreground of of this, this lovely scene of tulips in the background. It's not one of those lame Facebook things that say, if you love hope, click like. Like, forget about all of that. The resurrection of Jesus happened in a world where dead bodies stay dead, where dead people stay dead, where death is not some beautiful thing. It separates us from everything that we find meaningful in life. Uh, The resurrection happened in our world that is lived graveside. it, it, It does. It is lived graveside. It's where we start to feel death uh, even before we breathe our last breath as our bodies are dying. We feel our minds dying to some extent. And death is a problem because it's not just this kind of normal physiological, biological reality. It's a spiritual reality. Death is this reminder of the sin that pervades this world in every human heart. This is a world that lives under the shadow of death because of the presence of sin. And so how does the resurrection impact our past? Jesus has rewritten our stories. For those in Christ, death does not have the last word. Yet if there is no resurrection, we're back to no hope. If the story ends at the cross, if the story ends at Good Friday, there's no hope. But it didn't end there. Jesus Christ, the innocent one, died unjustly on the cross, the sinless one in the place of sinners, but death could not keep him because death had no claim on his life. And so in his resurrection, what we see is Christ's vindication. The sinless one can't be held down by death. Death can't keep him. And then Paul writes in Romans 4, Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses. He was raised for our justification, which means he was raised so that we might in him be declared innocent. The sins that should be charged to our accounts were paid by Jesus at the cross, and the empty tomb is like the claim ticket. It's the receipt. Jesus is not overcome, but instead overcame sin and death for us, and everything is changed. Paul will say in Galatians, the life you now live is a life lived in the death of Christ. In verse 16, Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins, and those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If Christ has not risen from the dead, you are still in your sins. I love how one commentator puts this. He says, you know, if you run the film backward and you edit out the resurrection of Jesus, that hopeless situation still prevails. Keep the teachings of Jesus, right? Keep the compassion of Jesus. Sprinkle in some miracles, sure. Uh, Keep the cross. But if there's no resurrection, you and I are sinners left in our sins. And there is no good news. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, then, then death still reigns. No matter how beautiful the cross is, no matter how self-sacrificial, and frankly, if there's no resurrection, is the cross even beautiful? Or is it just more evidence that, I mean, Jesus didn't die because he loved people so well. He died because of the authority that he claimed to have. He died because of blasphemy. So if he has not been risen from the dead, his, his death isn't even beautiful. It's shameful. 
and you are still in your sin. But Christ is raised, death is vanquished. If you are in Christ, if you look to him for your righteousness, the judgment for your sins is not a future event to be feared, but an event in the past. And the cross, and crucially the resurrection, is your vindication and comfort. So that's how Easter shapes our past. How does it shape our present? How does it shape our present? If Christ has not been raised from the dead, where does this leave us now? And Paul has a striking answer to that. He says we are most to be pitied. Verse 19, if in this life we have hoped in Christ, we are, all of, we are of all people most to be pitied. Which kind of begs the question, why are we most to be pitied? Why are we most to be pitied? Why are believers in Jesus the most to be pitied if he has not been raised from the dead? And maybe it's the idea, uh, it's the hope that kills you. You know, in World War I, the, the fighting began about August 1914, and you can find all of these posters, and you can hear all of these radio recordings, especially in England, and the, and the mantra was, it will be over by Christmas. And so a whole bunch of young men enlist into the army because they're so afraid they're going to miss the action before Christmas comes. And four years later, and nine million dead soldiers later, it was not over by Christmas. And the epidemic of hopelessness began to reign through the trenches. Are we just setting our lives on a hope that isn't there? If there's no resurrection, we are living in hope of something that doesn't exist. It's the definition of a fool. Imagine the excitement of getting an all-expenses-paid trip to Hawaii. Everything is first class. The airfare is first class. You have a driver. It's the finest accommodations. Everything will be paid for. It's a couple of months away. And so what do you do? You begin to live a little bit differently. Work has been a grind, but now you have something to look forward to. And I think most of us know what that's like to, to work when you have something to look forward to. It helps, doesn't it? You start to eat a little healthier. You go to the gym because you're going to Hawaii. You don't spend money so frivolously. You begin to save a little bit because you have this big trip that's coming up. And then on the day of the trip, you show up and you find out there is no trip. Now, you made pretty good decisions, didn't you? I mean, you ate a little bit healthier. You worked hard. All of those are good things. And yet there is a sense where you wasted your existence because you didn't live for the present. You could have sought some kind of fulfillment in the season of life you just went through. Instead, you shaped your life. You live now for a future that doesn't exist. You're a fool. But what if the trip is real? Those small sacrifices kind of pay off. I mean, this is a terrible analogy. It's a weak analogy because the trip will still disappoint you in some ways. The trip will come to an end, which will introduce a new kind of, kind of sadness as that trip winds down. But our hope is what Hebrews 11 calls a better country, a heavenly one. In 2 Corinthians, Paul calls our hope this incomparable, eternal weight of glory. And so one of the problems we have is that you know, we live in a world that's consumed by the transient. It's consumed by things that are passing away. We live with the threat of being pulled into a world that promises satisfaction and meaning and pleasure and all of these things that don't provide them. In work, in pleasure, in relationships, in money, in politics, in politicians, in food and drink. And Easter, at its most confrontational, reminds us these are illusions. They are siren calls that beckon us to come and be satisfied. And they tell us, here is your purpose. And they leave us emptier, angrier, more depressed, and worse off. I love the line of C.S. Lewis. He says, aim at heaven, you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, you get neither. 
The resurrection means everything now. Because today, it's not about commemorating a bygone event. It's about celebrating a reality that we are to live into right now. It's an invitation to the life that we were created for. Colossians 3, to seek the things that are above because in this crazy way, we are so identified with Jesus that we are identified as having been raised with him. So what are some ways that we can live into the reality of the resurrection? What are, what are some ways that define the current age in which we find ourselves? And so we live in a world driven by fear. Doesn't the resurrection speak to that? Every generation thinks you're on the precipice of something fearful. I tend to think there are significant changes happening now, most of them having to do with technology. Uh, we have a front row seat to all of the world's suffering and sorrow. There's no greater political strategy in 2023 than who can make your base more fearful of the other side. And so amidst the age of fear, don't we have a better word because of the resurrection? That God is at work. And there's so much in the air that says, I can't imagine raising kids in this day and age. Is Christ not reigning? Is he not risen and enthroned? Is God's victory not sure? Did something change? No, we will not be people driven by fear. The tomb is empty. Live into that as if it's real, as if it's true, because it is. And to be a people driven by fear is to be a people driven by anger. But dear friends, doesn't he hold all things together? He holds you in his hands. If you're a parent, doesn't he hold your children in his hands? Doesn't he hold this world in his hands? And are his hands nail scarred, which certainly means something. He holds us even as he sits enthroned. We live in a world of injustice, but isn't perfect justice coming? A kingdom of goodness, truth, and beauty. We ourselves in our kind of microscopic lives, we struggle with justice because we struggle to forgive. And if Jesus is just one more man amidst thousands of other slaves and criminals who have been crucified under Roman power, then feel free to take or leave his teaching. But if he is the Messiah who has defeated these things, that changes something for us now. The God who had the power to judge you did not. Let us wake up with that reality sung over us. The God who could judge us didn't. Instead, he invited you into communion with him, and there is power. There is power in that communion. Christ is alive. We struggle with guilt and shame. We struggle with being enough. And friends, Jesus is the faithful one in all things. Every last ounce of righteousness, every last ounce of being enough has been satisfied and fulfilled in him. He bore your guilt. He bore your shame. By his wounds, you are healed. I love how when Jesus rose from the dead, his initial mission was one of gathering, right? So he goes to denying Peter and he goes to the despondent disciples not to pronounce their failures and unfaithfulness, which by the way, they knew. They didn't need that pronounced to them, but he goes to them to pronounce his love and victory for them, to display his scars as trophies of conquering grace. He didn't say, now next time, do better. He said, now I'm gonna give you my spirit. We are either the ones most to be pitied or we are those who can put our trust in the most beautiful, powerful truth that's at the heartbeat of the universe. 
We either find ourselves in a world that spins into oblivion. What does it spin into? I don't even know. And, and what is our culture? What, what do we buy into? These silly attempts to supply this world with meaning because we can't find any inherent meaning. Or, or we entrust ourselves to the God who will reconcile all things in himself. Verse 20, Paul says, Christ is the first fruits. All that means is he's a sneak preview. He is a sneak preview of what we and what this world will one day be. How does the resurrection impact our future? And that's our last point. Hope. It shapes our hope. Verse 22, Paul writes, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. I'm going to keep reading. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet, but when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him when all things are subjected to him. Then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him. That God may be all in all. There was a lot of subjection. There was a lot of way of getting confused. At the end of the day, the point is God will be all in all. The resurrection is about the future, not just your future, not just my future, all of creation. It's about anticipating what is to come in the future, that God may be all in all. And so the mission of God is reclaiming this sin-cursed, broken world, and that mission began in earnest on Easter Sunday, when Christ was raised from the dead. Verse 23, we read about the resurrection of the dead and how each will be raised in order, first Christ, and then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. And this word order, it's a military metaphor, the same word for rank. The offensive attack against the corruption of God's creation, with death being the last and final enemy, has begun. The final defeat of death at the resurrection of believers will constitute the collapse of all of the resistance to Christ's power. And it will bring us to the end when Christ hands the kingdom back to the Father. In other words, creation's mission will be complete. The resurrection of Jesus is nothing short of the work of God, bringing the goal, the reality of God being all in all over all things. Every rival power and authority, all that corrupts creation is brought under the authority of Jesus. That's the future. And this is our hope. And this is our hope. It's our hope in a world where parents bury their children gunned down in schools. It's our hope in a world that just reeks of injustice and wickedness. God being all in all is our hope in a world of grief and loss, in our world of addiction and mental illness, our hope in a world that contains so much evil. And this is why the question of Christians, the question of the church in this world of suffering and death really has never been why. The question of Christians has not been, why is this happening? I sometimes think that question, why does God allow this to happen? That's the question we ask when death has been pushed off stage. When death is a stranger, we ask that question. Not when we remember death is the enemy. Because then the question isn't, why is this happening? The question is, how long? Because that's the whole point of all of this, is that there's death and evil and sin and destruction. 
The resurrection is about God being all in all in a world that was created for that very purpose. It's about lifting our eyes and hope that God is at work bringing about his purposes for the glory of his name and the good of his people. Easter means everything for us in our world. It's the only hope we have left, the injustice, suffering, pain, and death that we experience now will one day be no more and it will not have the last word. Christianity is not a coping mechanism for the world's woes. It stares them right in the face. It confronts them head on and yeah, with hope. Hope in God's word that evil, sin, and suffering will be one day fully swallowed up in victory. So may we live our lives under that reality. Under the reality that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, which means our past was redeemed. That's the claim ticket. That's the claim ticket. Again, no judgment that you are to fear in the future, but the past that has your receipt paid in full. That our present lives are being shaped by this reality, that it means something for us right now that the tomb is empty. And our future and the future of all creation is secure in the victory of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, help us to believe it. Help us to believe that this is the most important thing in the entire world. That 2,000 years ago, it's as if the course and the trajectory of history came to this sudden stop. Since that event in history, in that event in time, Lord, everything has changed. What we perceive with our eyes, all of the death all of the wickedness and sin that we don't just see with our eyes, that we experience honestly in our hearts. Lord, would you lift our eyes up to that greatest solution, to the greatest of problems? That the realities of this world that we experience don't have the last word, but Lord, you do. That Jesus Christ, when he was raised from the dead, is the first fruits. He is the sneak preview of the new creation every appetite that we have for joy and for fulfillment and for purpose and meaning, they are found exclusively fulfilled. In Jesus, you are king in your kingdom. And so by your spirit, would you shape us according to this reality? Lord, by your spirit, would we walk in step as resurrection people? Every decision Every action, everything we do uh, brought under that reality. Would you help us to live like that by your spirit? We thank you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.